Okay, welcome to the Tshuva Shmuz 5780. And um, please feel free at any time. This is, it is a regular Shmuz, but please feel free to use the chat. I will get to questions after. Um, I will try also, if I'm not able to answer questions after in the Q&A, I will try to answer them uh, afterwards by email. So please feel free, if you have any questions, etc., please feel free to use the chat. And uh, hopefully, we'll, it'll be um, it'll, I'll be able to answer them potentially in the Q and A after. And if not, then uh, hopefully after that, etc. Um, just one last check: if you could just let me know if you can see and hear me, because I hate to go live and not be. Uh, just one more in the Q and A. Just let me know. You got it? Is it clear? Perfect. Good. Okay. So with that, I'm going to start. Okay. Okay. The Mishnah tells us that on Rosh Hashanah, every human being, every occupant of the planet is judged, every lifespan is reviewed, every issue in mankind's future is reviewed, and this is the season we know on Rosh Hashanah, it's written on Yom Kippur, it's signed exactly the future of mankind's existence. But I'd like to focus for just a moment on something that I've said before but bears repeating, if you listen to the Nisana Tokif, it's with extreme precision that Hashem judges every issue of mankind's future. How many will pass and how many will be born? But you see, first, it's the global perspective. In a big picture issue, Hashem looks at what's supposed to be, and Hashem sets it. Then it's miyomos who will live and who will die. Hashem then fills in each slot. Every year in the United States of America, approximately 2.5 million people die. Approximately 600,000 of cancer, approximately 500,000 of heart disease. But you see, first Hashem sets that big picture. These many people will pass, these many people will be born across the globe. And then Hashem fills in the slot. will fit in. And everything is done with extraordinary precision. Everything is done with extreme measure. And one of the concepts that during this time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that we're finally supposed to get is that Hashem is the Melech. Hashem is not just the creator. Hashem is one who orchestrates. Hashem is one who maintains everything that happens under the sun. Everything that happens in all existence is directly controlled by Hashem. Now, with that as a backdrop, I'd like to ask an obvious question. And that is, it's been a pretty rocky 2,000 years. If you study the Jewish exile, if you study the past 2,000 years of Jewish history, you see it's been pretty, pretty rough. In other words, meaning we have suffered through pogroms, persecutions, Spanish inquisitions, crusades, gassings, mass murders, the Holocaust. Name me a creative way of killing a human being that was used full measure on the Jews. Name me a measure or way to torture another person that was used on the Jews. But even worse than the fact that it just happens, we're clearly warned by the Torah that it's going to happen. And not only are we warned that it's going to happen, we're told with precision what will happen if we listen to Hashem and what will happen if we don't. So I don't have a question on the reality. I don't have a question on the fact that the Jewish people have not followed our role we are the Mamleches Konim, the Goy Kodesh. We're supposed to be that one unique nation. We're supposed to be the one unique Hashem's people. 
And I don't have a question as to why it is that the Tochacha came true. But I do have a different question. The question is, why did Hashem set up the system this way? Meaning it was clear that it's going to happen. It was clear that the events were going to befall the Jewish people, and because Hashem warns us about it over and over, and more than that, Hashem predicts it, and Hashem says it in the Torah, the Jewish people are going to stray, they're going to go off the way, and they're going to be exiled. So here's the question. Hashem is very, very good at doing that which Hashem does. Couldn't Hashem have set up a system a little bit differently? Meaning, I get it, and there's reward and punishment. I get it that there's a result that if the Jewish nation doesn't do what they're supposed to, they'll be sent into exile. But Hashem created the system, and Hashem made it. And if Hashem knew the future, why set it up that way? And it's even worse than that. If you listen to the swing point, the pivot point, why will all of this happen? Because you didn't serve Hashem with joy in your heart. And if you look at Rabbeinu B'chai on the Pasuk, he explains that that is literal, because you didn't serve Hashem with joy in your heart, therefore everything happened. But even more than that, he then explains, he says it's a Gemara. And the Gemara says, I refined you, but not with silver that I choose, but in the crucible of poverty. Quotes Rabbeinu B'chai, the Gemara Chagiga, that says, Hashem looked at every Mida Tova. Hashem searched through every good trait, the best situation that Hashem could find was poverty. But poverty doesn't mean being without money. Poverty means exactly what's described in the Torah, being without everything, without money, without health, suffering. Meaning it's not just by design. It was clearly laid out this way. It was clearly laid out as the best path for the Klai Yisrael. Meaning Hashem knew what was going to happen. Hashem created the system, and Hashem knew fully well that the Jewish nation would go into exile, and everything that befell us would happen. But again, Rabbeinu Machai says, the reason why Hashem set the system up this way is because it was the best thing for the Jewish nation. And I would like to ask that that does not seem to make an awful lot of sense. Meaning, just study the amount of pain, suffering, torture, that the Jewish nation have gone through, and I'd be hard-pressed to say, wow, that sounds like a lovely um, course of life. That sounds like a lovely path of history. As a matter of fact, it sounds pretty rough. So here's the question. If Hashem is kol yachol, fully capable of everything, and Hashem created the system knowing what's going to be, what do you mean that Hashem felt this is the best matzah, the best situation Hashem didn't find a better situation, a better thing for the Kalei rather than Aeneas, rather than poverty, rather than being without. And I believe that this Rabbeinu Chai is very difficult to understand. And 2,000 years of Jewish suffering, I believe, is the question. And to answer this question, what we need to do is we need to step away. We need to take a very, very broad view of life a broad view of why Hashem made us, what we're doing here, and ultimately the purpose of existence. And it's going to be a little bit of a progression, but let's start with one simple observation. Chazal tell us, when I'm done my job here, every action of my life, everything is weighed, measured, and accounted for. But that means every action, 
every discussion, and every thought. As a matter of fact, it's played in absolute graphic detail. The video track, the audio track, as well as the machshava track, the thoughts of my heart. And it's all there. And if you'd like to understand that last moment when you leave this earth, and then you stand in front of Hashem, what I envision it is as sort of like the hall of photographs. I don't know if you've been to the Holocaust Museum, but there are a few, Yad Vashem has one similar, but if you go to the New York City, to the Holocaust Museum, and you walk into the antechamber, you see a huge room, floor-to-ceiling pictures, this person, that person, and it's thousands and thousands of photographs of people who died in the Holocaust, and the idea being that trying to demonstrate, trying to show different personalities, young people, old people, but it's a very, very wide panorama, thousands of photographs. That's how I envision what it's like when I've done my job here. My body's put in the ground and whoosh, I'm shown every action of my life. Every single event, every single interchange with another human being is a photograph. Oh, there's me when I'm 13. Oh, there's me when I'm 15. Oh, look at that. There's me when I'm first married. But each event with the video track, the audio track, the machshava track, and it's all there. Every single event of my life, everything in one flash. You see, we think that we're acute and we're alert, we're aware now. We're living in a very, very great haze. When I'm conscious, I perceive some things I don't, others. But when my body's put in the ground, everything comes back in absolute vivid glory. I see every single action of my life, every single one with absolute clarity. Here, I can hide. I may think one thing, I may say another, and you won't be able to tell the difference. But that's because I hide behind this heavy body. This body occludes my vision and your vision. This body hides me, and you cannot tell what I'm thinking. You cannot tell who I am. But when my body's put in the ground, I separate and whoosh. Everything is there with absolute clarity. You'll see me for exactly what I am, every action, every motion, everything that I did. But it's a part of me, indelibly imprinted, a part of me forever. Now, when you understand that, you understand the glorious concept called tshuva. Tshuva, explains Ms. Lasharm, doesn't make sense. Tshuva that we're going to engage in shortly is a process that eliminates events. Explains Ms. Lasharm, according to the laws of nature, according to the laws of logic, it shouldn't work. But it does, because Hashem has tremendous mercy. Hashem allowed us to eliminate things. But the Orchah Siddiquim explains to us that it's a process. Much akin to when I get a stain on my coat. Imagine I have a beautiful white coat, and someone drives by, splashes mud on it. So if I kind of wipe the mud off, and the mud is gone, but there's still a stain, then I can take a rag and rub it. There's still a little bit of an image. I can rub it with some solvent, and there's still kind of like there's a shadow If I take some more detergent and I rub and I rub, eventually there's not a trace. That is tshuva. Any tshuva eliminates something, takes off some. But the more you dig in, the more you dig, the more you dig in, and the more you rub it out, the more that gets removed, the more that gets removed. And if a person reaches absolute charata, total regret, a person goes through the process and reaches absolute total regret, the stain is gone. 
And if you can imagine those photographs, thousands and thousands, they could be one gone, a second one gone, hundreds gone, they could be an entire week, a month, a year gone. But that's only when I'm alive. Tshuva is possible now, and once my body hits the ground, once I separate, it's over. Wizzy wig, what you see is what you get. Whatever level I reach is where I am for eternity. But then there's no tshuva. Tshuva is now. Tshuva is something that doesn't make sense but does exist now. But tshuva stops once we hit the ground, once I leave. Now, if you think about this concept, it sounds nice. And it should sound motivating. But I'd like to share with you there's one reason why this concept will not affect you and I for very long nor to very much an extent. And that's because, quite simply, I won't be there. You see, this idea that I'll die and I will be there is the most elusive concept. And Rabbi Saul Salanta explains it. He says the most elusive but most vital concept that a person has to come to grip is that ain ben rega achrona. There's no difference between the last moment of my life and the moment after except pshita salavush, just taking off the coat. This concept that I whom thinking right now, I whom speaking to you, I who feel, I who remembers, I whom right here will be the same I there. Oh, I'll have different, I'll have different values. I'll have a different perspective. But the same I who worries about things, who's concerned about things, the same I will be there. And this is probably the most pivotal, most life-changing concept that a human being could ever get. And do you understand why? Because exactly what Bishal Salanta explains. We human beings are very concerned about us. He explains that self-love really is the primary force, the strongest force in existence. And if you think about it, most of us are very concerned about what's going to be. Most of us work for a living. Why do you work for a living? Why don't you just, uh, you know, you could survive on tuna fish. You could sleep in the streets. You're probably not going to starve to death. The answer is because I really don't want to be there. But you understand what I'm saying? My existence, my comfort, my safety are very, very real concerns. I spend an inordinate amount of time, energy, effort to make sure that everything is arranged for my good. Hopefully I'm concerned for others as well, and but certainly my good. And it explains it with Saul Salant that if I understood this one fact, it's the same I. As I get older, as I get a little older, hopefully a little bit older still, but then my body hits the ground, but it's the same I. No difference between the last moment of my life and the moment after, other than just taking off the coat, I separate, but it's I who's there. And if I could ever get that concept, if I could ever feel that, if I could ever be margish it, then my life would be vastly different. Because in that moment, when I'm standing in that hall of pictures, I would grip it. I would say, oh my goodness, there's a concept called tshuva, there's a concept called change, let's go. A Yom Kippur would be the most glorious, most beautiful day in existence. I would use every moment to drive, to push, because oh, my, I could change, I could be great forever. And more than that, if I don't, forever these things are with me. You understand the value, the incredible and priceless gift called tshuva? 
It's beyond our understanding. It's beyond perception. And the only reason we're not dancing away, the only reason we're not anxiously awaiting with such joy is because I don't view that it's really me. Whatever, my distant cousin, my alter ego, so, you know, I'll be dead. <laughs> don't worry about it, Rabbi. It's okay. I'll be dead. You know, my, my neshama, yeah. And my neshama being Ghanaian, very nice. My neshama, I'll be dead, but my neshama will be there. And that is patently false. That is exactly the opposite. Most people view death as going to sleep, as in Harvey was a good man. He's in his final resting place. Rest in peace, Harvey. But explains his Sharm and Rasul Salanta says it more clearly, that that is not at all what death is. Death is not going to sleep. Death is not my nushama, my distant cousin alter ego being there. My body's put in the ground and I separate with all of me, with all of my thoughts, all of my memories. The same I am standing here now, the same I will be there. And that concept is the most life-changing, the most powerful because suddenly I view everything in existence with a total different set of eyes, and surely the concept called tshuva. However, this should bring us to a very obvious question, and that is that let's assume a person lives a very long life, Hashem, 90 years, 100 years, whatever the number is, and they go through a last Rosh Hashanah. Whatever that Rosh Hashanah is, it will happen and it will be a last Rosh Hashanah of my life. Again, I hope it's many, many years from now. But let's imagine that that Rosh Hashanah is here, and it's the very last Rosh Hashanah of my life. And then a few months later, I pass away, let's say in Cheshvan. Well, here's the problem. What do you mean that I'm judged for every action of my life? Didn't I stand judgment on Rosh Hashanah? Isn't it Rosh Hashanah Yechasevun, Uviyom Tzom Yechasevun? Wasn't I judged already? The Ramban asks, I don't understand. And what do you mean that Chazal say that every single action of a person's life he's judged on when he leaves this earth, he was just judged on the previous Rosh Hashanah, whatever he's got between Rosh Hashanah and then, three months, four months, whatever the time is, but he already went through a judgment. It's double jeopardy. What, what do you mean he's judged again? And the Ramban explains what's going on here is something that's a little bit deeper and a little bit more life-changing. Before each person is born, they're given a very particular life setting. But you really have to understand that a life setting is not just the generation, not just the body, not just the intelligence, but really it starts much, much beyond that, and it starts much earlier than that. The Magid Misharim, written by the Beishosu, explains that before we were put here, all of us, every neshama in existence was in the Olam HaNeshamos, right next to Hashem's throne of glory. And the same I who I'm thinking was there, and all of us were there. And the Magim Hashem explains that we get to see an array. We get to see an array of people who went into the world and come back. And some come back brilliant. Some come back powerful. Some come back glorious, shining like the sun at midday, and all of us say, yes, let me, let me come into this world, because in this world, in a physical world, you can grow, you can accomplish, you can reach heights greater than Malachim, and therefore every neshama wants to go into the world. However, we sit there for a little bit, and we also see people come back who are not so great, and some 
come back missing limbs, some come back crippled, some come back diminutive, some don't make it back at all. And we see an entire array of people coming back, some much greater, some a little bit greater, some not great at all, some damaged, some destroyed. And seeing this, every neshama screams out, no, I don't want a part of this world. Because I'll tell us it's better for a person not to be born. It explains the Magi Misharim. What does that mean? That means every neshama screams out, I don't want a part of it. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. Yeah, great. If I hit the stars, I'll be great. But what if I don't? And when you see the damage and when you see the risk, it's way too damaging, way too scary. And every neshama screams out, no, I don't want a part of it. Hashem in His infinite wisdom understands and that for those who succeed, they reach such stellar heights. They reach such greatness that it's worth it. And therefore Hashem says, no, you will be born. You will be born. Pay careful attention. I'm going to give you a Torah. I'm going to give you an exact guidebook. And I'm going to give you all the help you need. Grow, accomplish. From the Neshama's perspective, from you and I, it's too risky. Hashem in His infinite wisdom says, no, it's appropriate and proper. However, it's not just that you're put into this world, a very exact stage setting into a very particular generation, into a very particular family, into a very particular body with just this sort of temperament and just this sort of IQ, just this sort of talent in a very exact birth order because this is the perfect stage setting for you to become the great person you can be. And when we've done our job, I'm not asked, why didn't I become you? You're not asked, why didn't you become me? Each of us asked the most demanding, exacting question, how much of you did you become? You were given this amount of strength, this amount of talent. This was the exact life setting that was perfect for you. How much of you did you become? And one of the big mistakes that we human beings invariably make is, I compare myself to you, and you compare yourself to him. I'm staging, he's not, she's good, she's not. And if you understand life, you understand how foolish it is. Because not only can I measure you, I don't know your strengths, I don't know your weaknesses, I don't know your life setting, I don't know what you were put into, I don't know what's expected of you. I surely don't even know what's expected of me. But for me to judge another human being is the ultimate folly because I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue to their strength, their capacity, their ability. I'm a big knocker. I say he should get up for minion. He should do this. She should do that. I know. I play God, but when you play God and you're not quite prepared for that role, you're not exactly doing anyone any service. But you see, this is the point. Each of us are judged, and each of us are judged by the most demanding, exacting standard, the standard of you. How much of you did you become? How much of your greatness did you reach? How much of what you could have been did you accomplish? But you see, every life setting is different. As I was given a different IQ than you were, as I was given a different temperament, as I was given different drives and ambitions, and so too was I put into a vastly different setting of life. Some people are supposed to enjoy great wealth. Some people are supposed to have it not so easy. Some people need poverty because as Rabbi Elizabeth from the Gemara's is an example of, that was the ideal life setting for him. But each person has a unique, particular life setting. 
Each person was given the perfect environment for their growth, but not only is each life setting different, each one is perfectly set for that person, and that's what happens before you were born. Before you were born, you were given a certain amount of years to live, a certain basic life setting, how much talent, how much ability, and basic events that will befall you. And Rabbeinu Chai says something very, very telling. He says, every neshama, before being put into this world, is shown exactly their life setting. You see, initially, I don't want a part of it, and I want out. But Hashem says, no, you're going to go. But before Hashem puts me into this life, Hashem shows me that life setting. and shows me the events of my life. Show me what is supposed to occur, what's supposed to happen. And then Rabbi Machai quotes the measures that says the following words, Ratsu v'kiblu. Every human being alive wants it, accepts it, and is happy with it. Yes, that's perfect. That's exactly what I need. That life setting is perfect for me. Yes, that's exactly it. Meaning, every time people fetch, Ay, why did Hashem give me this? Why did Hashem give me that? And there was a time when we had great clarity. There was a time when I sat there looking at my life, and I understood exactly why it's perfect. I understood exactly why that's what I need. Rotsu v'kiblu, I want it. I create, yes, exactly, give me that. However, that life setting is set before you put into this earth. Every Rosh Hashanah, there's a new judgment. And the Rosh Hashanah explains that every Rosh Hashanah would judge, but it's not schar v'onish. It's not reward and punishment. That's when I leave this earth. When I leave this earth, every action of my life is weighed, measured, and visited. But that's not Rosh Hashanah. What we're judged on Rosh Hashanah is our life setting. So let's imagine a person was destined to live 120 years. But that's assuming they do what they're supposed to. That issue is revisited. Let's assume they're supposed to have great health. But that's assuming they act in a particular way. They're supposed to enjoy much success, much beautiful things. Each Rosh Hashanah, my life setting is revisited. It has nothing to do with the world to come. It has to do strictly with this life. How much health, how much well-being, how much success, how much money, the amount of suffering, the amount of joy, the amount of good things, the amount of bad things. Everything is weighed and measured, but it's all in terms of this world. And explains the Drosh Ramban that everything on Rosh Hashanah is strictly this world. Nothing to do with the world to come, and nothing to do with reward and punishment. Strictly a life setting. Because you have to understand, Hashem loves every one of His creations. And Hashem is the native. And Hashem would give as much as Hashem can give, because that's the way Hashem created the world. But different people need different life settings. And you can be a great tzaddik, but that doesn't mean your life setting is going to be a walk in the park. There are many, many gedolim, many, many tzaddikim who had a rough life. But not because Hashem ran out of money in their generation. Not because Hashem couldn't figure out how to cure their disease. Handcrafted, hand-designed, because that was the perfect environment for them. But here's the point. Most of us have a right to assume that we're granted a good life. Because at the end of the day, that's what a person needs. That's what a person needs to serve Hashem. And the Rambam explains in Hilchus Tshuva that if you serve Hashem properly and you use this life well, then it's almost guaranteed that Hashem is going to give you everything you need. Why? 
Because all that Hashem wants is for you to grow, for you to accomplish. That's why Hashem created the whole world. That's why Hashem put you here. And if you're using the world properly and you need money, help, whatever, Hashem is going to provide it for you. Why? Because that's what you need. So unless there's a particular life setting, for some reason, that you're supposed to desperate to illness or poverty or some overarching reason, the average person has a right to assume that basically, most likely, my life is going to be good, my life is going to be okay. But that was the original life setting. Every Rosh Hashanah, that question is revisited. So let's assume, as the Rambam explained, I'm going on the right path. I'm growing, I'm accomplishing, I'm learning, I'm davening, I'm doing chesed, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. Then I have every right to assume that whatever I was granted before I was born, all that wealth, all that bounty, everything beautiful, everything proper is going to be given to me. Because after all, it's a good deal. Hashem says He's doing what He should be. And if I give Him more, it's going to be even better. He'll grow more, He'll steig more, it's great. So of course, Hashem will give me everything that I'm entitled to, everything that He can give me, everything that according to my life setting is what's perfect and proper for me. Let's assume I'm not doing so good. Let's assume I start uh, going south. Or I get, just get, you know, into the world and into money and honor and just frivolous things. I just start wasting my time or start doing stupid things. And I start going just in a way of spinning my wheels. <clears throat> well, most likely then Hashem is going to send a wake-up call. Because what Hashem wants is one thing, our growth, our accomplishment. And if I'm not waking up and I'm sound asleep at the switch, well, guess what? Hashem is going to send wake-up calls. And Hashem is going to send another wake-up call and another wake-up call. And I believe what this Rabbeinu B'chai is teaching us is that Hashem did not find a better environment for the Klaishol other than Aeneas because unfortunately the sad reality is we sound, we fall asleep. The sad reality is that the Jewish nation falls asleep. The sad reality is that you and I fall asleep. And so many times, if it could be, Hashem sits there and says, wait, please, 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 use the world properly. Grow, accomplish, I'll give you everything. Bounty, I'll shower you with everything. And more than Hashem promises in the Torah. And Hashem sits there on every Rosh Hashanah and waits till Yom Kippur and says, please, please, please. But unfortunately, there's a reality. There's a reality that we get drunk. There's a story Chavetz Chaim used to tell that two men were walking by a bar. And as they're walking by, a guy falls out the bar, drunk, falls on the floor, rolls on the floor. And one man says to him, look at that guy. He's drunk. If I would get drunk, I wouldn't fall on the floor like that. I'd keep my self-esteem, my self-image. I wouldn't behave that way. This friend says to fellow, if you were drunk, you'd be drunk. Very nice, you're not drunk now, you're not rolling on the floor. If you'd be drunk, you'd be just like him rolling on the floor. And it's a very simple reality. Everyone's a Kanaka. Hashem, give me everything. Health, well-being, give me rich, give me Ashiras. Hashem, give me all the money in the world. I know two fellows. I was a high school rabbi for 15 years. I know thousands of people. I know two people who granted Ashiras, and they remained normal. They remained grounded. They remained really there. But the vast majority of people who are granted wealth do not remain sober, do not remain grounded. And wealth doesn't mean money. It could also mean money, but it can mean bounty in everything. Things are just going well. You're growing. You're, everything's just going well in this world. Everything. 
And most people, when everything's going well, and especially when they have some money, all of a sudden they become drunk and no longer do they grow, no longer do they accomplish, no longer do they remember why they're here and they're on the floor rolling around like a drunk. And then Hashem has to change the life setting. And Hashem has to take things away and Hashem has to rearrange things. And each Rosh Hashanah, that is the judgment. If you'd like to understand 2,000 years of Jewish history, it's because that is the best matzah, the best environment for the Jewish people. And if you think it hurts you, it doesn't hurt a thousandth of what it hurts Hashem it could be. Because as much mercy as we have, as much love for the Jewish nation as we have, it's not one ten thousand, ten thousand, ten thousandth of what Hashem feels for the Jewish nation. Any mercy that we have, any love that we have, is only because Hashem put it in our heart. But Hashem is the creator of that emotion. And if you can imagine the pain that the Shekhinah has, the pain that Hashem has as He has to exile His people, generation after generation, putting them through each difficult situation and putting them through new horrific times and knowing all the while that it's going to happen that way and knowing all the while that it's really for their best. Because again, if we were different, if in fact we'd wake up, it wouldn't be. But there's a simple reality that most people don't get it. Most people don't wake up. Most people live sound asleep. And the reality is, Hashem did not find a better measure for the Klaishal, Ella Aeneas, rather than Aeneas. Why? Because ultimately that is the environment that a person reaches heights from. You see, when you don't have, when you're lacking, and you call out to Hashem, Hashem, please help. It's very easy to wake up. When you're in pain, when you're in desperate pain, you begin to think about things differently. And when you're in real poverty, and again, poverty doesn't only mean financially, but when you're really lacking and you really need, and is something not there in your life, no longer are you so frivolous, no longer is it such gay times, and suddenly you wake up and you realize, and you begin focusing differently. What Hashem ultimately wants is everything good for us, and ultimately what Hashem wants on Rosh Hashanah and judges on Yom Kippur is our Best situation, unfortunately, many times our best situation isn't accessible to us because it would ruin us unless we wake up. And to me, this is one of the most powerful concepts. And I'll explain to you why. You see, I've worked on this idea that on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem sets our life setting. I've worked on it for years and decades and decades. I can't tell you how many years already. And as much as I think about it, and as much as I work on it, as much as I speak about it, I also know there's a simple reality. I don't get it. I don't get it. Why? Because, again, I wish I could see myself 100% there. I wish I could see that there's no difference between me right now and me the moment after my body's been in the ground. But it's very, very elusive. And it's very hard to feel. And I'll sit there on Rosh Hashanah, and I'll think about it on Yom Kippur. Wow. Hashem is running the world. It's grand. It's glorious. Hashem sits there as a shofate and judging this nation and this technology that's going to come to market and this new event. And I understand it and I get it. I understand that the headlines of the New York Times written Rosh Hashanah, but that's in theory. In terms of real, how many times do I walk out of shul 
or I shouldn't say, I may not make it this year. I, I wish I did. But honestly, I really, really wish I, and I try, and I use as much, maybe not as much as I can, but I try to imagine it, and I try to use all kinds of illustrations, and I work, and I don't think about it, but the bottom line is, it's very, very far removed. And the reason for that is because that's why Hashem created the world. And that part is very hard. Now, don't get me wrong. It's important to think about. It's important to work on, but it remains elusive. However, there's something that's very clear to me. There have been years that have been very, very good. And there have been times that have been not so good. I've gone through great situations in my life and situations that are not so wonderful. I've, you know, Baruch Hashem, I have my health. I can't say not. But there have been a lot of things that I've gone through that I sure wish I didn't have to. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of embarrassment, a lot of things that I sure wish didn't happen. And you see, that's very real. You see, the big picture issues, miyamus, miyachia, all right, we try. We try to imagine it, but it's very elusive. But there's another part to Nusana Tokev. Who's going to have turbulence during the year and who's going to have tranquility? Misha Kate, who's going to have quiet? Mi who's going to be to tumult? Misha who's going to have shalva? Who's going to have peace and peace of mind? Misha who's going to have isurim? My friends, in the course of history, we've never lived, nor has any generation ever lived in the type of dichotomy that we currently live in. Here's my question. Are we living in ultimate ashiras? Are we living in ultimate poverty? In the course of history, there's never been this much material wealth and never been this much abundance. And I hope you've heard at least a number of shmuzim where I discuss that over and over and over, that the average tax-paying citizen in our world enjoys luxuries and opulence that kings of a few hundred years ago couldn't imagine. And in one level, we live in a time of wealth and prosperity that's unprecedented. And surely Rebbein Machai doesn't apply here because this generation is not suffering poverty. And this generation, Hashem says, I didn't find a Mida Tova other than poverty. We got it all. Abundance, wealth. And yet, I don't think there's ever been a generation where there's been so much pain, so much psychological, so much emotional pain, so many people who are unwholesome, so much trouble. And if you'd like to see the ultimate dichotomy we're living in such wealth and such poverty at the same time. And that, to me, is one of the most frightening, eye-opening concepts, because I, too, am a human being. And if I realize that my judgment is an open question, on Rosh Hashanah, it's open, it's not sealed until Yom Kippur, and I understand that there's one criteria that's going to change it all, how I use my time, what I do with my life. You see, if I'm growing, if I'm accomplishing, if I'm heading in the right direction, the Hashem will grant me everything I'm supposed to get. Why? Because that's the best thing for me. And ultimately, that's all that Hashem wants. Hashem doesn't want to punish me. Hashem doesn't want to take away things. Hashem wants to give everything. So assuming I'm growing, assuming I got my brain on and I'm accomplishing, Hashem will give me everything there, everything that's available, because I'm going to grow. But that's the pivot. If I'm growing... What if I'm asleep? What if I'm so busy with this thing called life, doing and running and doing and running, get my phone and get my phone and get my next phone and get the next, and I'm just so distracted by the busyness of our generation. 
I think it was 20 years ago when I coined that phrase, the busy generation. It's no longer the busy generation. I don't even have a term, ultimate distraction, weapons of mass distraction, that thing they call the iPhone. And even if you don't have a phone, just everyone is so distracted, so... Who even knows? Who even knows if I'm growing, if I'm... I, I, I haven't paid attention in the past, whatever. And if you'd like to understand one of the main focal points of Yom Kippur, it's to think about exactly this question. What am I doing here? What is my direction in life? The phone is shut off. The noise stopped. The static is gone. Even the sutton can't bother me. Even the sutton only works 364, not on Yom Kippur. And some point during the day, hopefully early on, but surely by midday, when you're no longer bloated and the tightness begins to take on, you see the body begins to weaken. And when the body begins to weaken during the fast, at a certain point you gain a mental clarity. It may not happen till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It may happen earlier depending on who and what. But the point is, at a certain point, there's a clarity of mind. And you could look back on your year. And you could ask yourself that key critical question, what am I doing here? What's the purpose of my life? What am I accomplishing? Am I on track? Am I doing what I want to be doing? Am I doing what I should be doing? Am, am I and I in sync? Am I at peace with myself? Do I understand that Hashem wants ultimately one thing, my growth, my accomplishment? I was given a Torah, I was given all the mitzvahs because that helps me. That's exactly the path. How much am I growing? How much am I accomplishing? What am I doing here? And ultimately, that is one of the biggest issues that a person should be dealing with on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day of slicha mechila. No question about it. You can get rid of packs and packs of those pictures, those photographs on the walls. You can get rid of that, and that's great. And it's a huge part of the day. But I believe as big as much a part of the day as that is another part of the day, the avodah of the day, is to come to grips with one thing. What am I doing here? What am I accomplishing? What's my purpose in life? Am I on track? And you see, if you deal with that issue, you can change everything. Getting rid of avarice is great. The value of it is incomprehensible. And again, if I could be at that moment after, and I could see what would have been there, and what I get rid of with tshuva, I would rush to do tshuva with such energy, with such vigor. Nevertheless, there's something even greater. You see, on Yom Kippur, I can change the course of my life. I could change the direction. It doesn't have to be a radical change, but it could be a small change. And that small change can make a huge difference. Because if I change my direction, it's everything that comes thereafter. It's everything that follows suit. Getting rid of Averis is a great thing. But even more than that, I could change things. I could change habits. I could change direction. But here's the problem. I guarantee you're going to have clarity of vision on Yom Kippur. I guarantee you're going to have a different perspective. And I guarantee there's going to be a certain clarity when you say, wow, let's go. The problem is, how do you make it stick? As Rabbi Dvidovitz, Hashem Rochester often says, there's a kittel in the gang. You know, you're wearing the white kittel and everyone's there and you're singing and you're, and you're into it. And it's so clear then. But how do you make it stick? How do you make sure that it lasts 
a week after Yom Kippur, maybe a day after Yom Kippur? How do you make sure it lasts through the year? And I believe there's only one way, and that is you have to commit to learn Musr. And you have to commit to a learning Seder in Musr. And there are many, many ways to do it. After the Shmuz, I'm going to mention one particular way that I have through the Shmuz. We'll mention after. But there are many, many ways to do it. There are many Musasvarim, and you can make up to listen to Torah anytime. There are many speakers. There are many, many ways. But if you make up that I'm going to learn a certain amount of time, it can be anything from five minutes a day to half hour, but I'm going to make a Seder in Musr. Musr means things that will motivate me, things that will inspire me, things that will keep me on track. And you have to find what works for you. You have to think about it. And you have to think what's worked in the past. If it's a schmooze, great. And again, when we've done this particular schmooze, I have a particular new program that I want to introduce. But it could be from any different source. And by the way, a very, very powerful, life-changing commitment could be to learn five minutes a day of Hilchas Lashon Hara. Take the English if you want. Guard your tongue. Learn it for five minutes a day, and I guarantee it's going to impact your year. Will it change everything in your life? No. I'm sure it will change something. But there are many, many avenues, many, many ways, but you have to grab one. You have to make a commitment, I will learn. If you can't do it daily, at least do it once a week. I will listen to a shir once a week of Musr. And again, you go to Torah anytime. You'll see there are hundreds and hundreds of very powerful, very choshev, rabbanim speakers who can help you. But you have to make that commitment. And in that clarity of moment on Yom Kippur, when you realize that I'm not quite as much as I want to be, I'm not quite who I want to be, that's the time to say, I get it. I want to change. And you think about change. You change in this area, change in this area, and you do chuv in this area, and do chuv in that area. But more than anything, think in these terms. What could I do to make it permanent? And I believe more than anything, a seder in Musr, and that can be, again, anything from a daily to weekly, preferably daily, and it can be from five minutes to a half hour. But if you commit to it and really stick to it, it's a tremendous thing. However, I have one more little step. If you really wake up on Yom Kippur, and you really feel this, and you see that it's me, and you recognize that it's me for eternity, and then you say, I get it, I I have to keep this, I I have to keep this inspiration, just remember one thing. After you make that commitment to learn, immediately, immediately, before even eating, write it down. Write down your commitment. Because your inspiration and your desire to change is going to be there, And if you write it down and it's a written commitment, likely you'll actually stick with it. But if you take all that inspiration and you make up that say, I'm going to learn Musa every day and I'm going to listen to this speaker or that or the schmooze or whatever, and and you break your fast and just take it slow and wait a day or so, very likely it's going to be gone. Put it in writing. Write it down, I commit. Don't do anything extravagant. Don't do anything more than you think is realistic. And it could be anything from five minutes, ten minutes. And again, if you don't think you could do it daily, you do it once a week. But commit to it, and as soon as Yom Kippur is over, put it in writing. I think this Chazal shares with us a tremendous concept. Yom Kippur is the most glorious day in existence. It's a day where you can get rid of those hall of photographs, those thousands of photos, and get rid of Rows and rows, it's beautiful. 
Tshuva literally cleans it up. Any tshuva gets rid of some of the stain, a little bit more, rubs a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, but any tshuva does some. But more than even getting rid of Averas, you can change direction. And if you need some motivation, Jewish history should be that motivation. Much of Jewish history has not been pretty. But not because Hashem can't. Not because Hashem doesn't have the wherewithal. And not even because Hashem directed it that way. It's much more. As Rabbeinu Machai says, Hashem says, I found no better environment than poverty. I found no better environment for the Jewish nation than suffering. Why? Because it's a simple reality that we fall asleep. Hashem is the ultimate giver. Hashem only wants everything to be beautiful, everything to be bountiful. But unfortunately, that's not always good for us. Before I was born, I was shown a life. And hopefully, for most of us, we expect it to be a beautiful life. And certainly back then, before I was put in this body, Ratzu Vekibla, I said, yes, absolutely. But each Rosh Hashanah, that question is revisited. Rosh Hashanah Yechaseivum, Yom Sam Kippur, Yechaseimum, it's sealed on Yom Kippur. But you see, that question is nothing to do with Sechayar Va'onish, nothing to do with the world to come. Nothing to do with reward and punishment. It has to do with one simple question. What is the best environment for me? What's the best situation? If I'm growing, if I'm changing, if I'm accomplishing, then let's go. Everything that's available, Hashem is going to give me. Because that's all Hashem wants. The problem is that I'm not. If I'm not growing, if I'm not accomplishing, if I'm distracted beyond distracted, if I'm so busy and doing and just so, just shut off the phone. Shut it off. If you'd like to make a Kabbalah, a good Kabbalah is not to turn on the phone until a certain time. And maybe I should say it myself, I can't say it publicly, but I sure should say I shouldn't turn it on until a certain time. But one thing I can tell you, the phone is the biggest distraction in the world, even if you have a kosher phone. But the amount of distractions and busyness, never in the course of history has there been such a dichotomy, such wealth, such opportunity to grow, to do everything. And yet such misfortune, such torture that so many people go through. And if I understood that every Rosh Hashanah, that question is revisited. It's true life and death is revisited. It's true health and well-being is revisited. But more than that, my entire life setting is revisited. And that means my yeshivadas or my tirafadas, tranquility or tumult, busy or relaxed. That also is part of my life setting. And if I could say to Hashem, Hashem, I want to grow, I want to accomplish, and I've committed to thee as my plan, very likely I could change. Very likely I could change my life setting. And I could have what was supposed to be. I could have what's best for me, because now I'm on a different path. But you have to be able to say it in a way that convinces Hashem. The problem is we get drunk. Much like the Chavetz Haim's Moshul, when the two guys are walking past a bar and the guy folds up, oh, if I were drunk, I'd never get that way. The problem is we're in this world and we get drunk. We get drunk with honor. We get drunk with desire. We get drunk with distraction. We get drunk with everything imaginable. And we lose our path and we lose our focus. And I'd like to share with you that if you lose your focus and you get very busy, you can do very, very foolish things. And I want to share with you an example of something that I find so compelling so compelling because you could be very, very driven and very focused and really altruistic. But if you don't have the right path and you're not really 
on track, you could be causing tremendous devastation. In today's world, probably one of the biggest issues in morality in the world at large is abortion. And as you know, in 1973, the landmark Supreme Court case, Roe versus Wade, made abortion something that's protected as a right to all American citizens. And it changed the scope of morality in the world, certainly in the United States of America. But what's very interesting is that the woman who was Jane Roe, the plaintiff in the case, later on wrote a book. Now again, 1973 was quite a while ago. And the woman came out in 1994 with her autobiography. It's The name of the book is I Am Roe. Her name was McCorvey. And in his book, she describes basically what happened. At the time, she was pregnant. Now, supposedly, according to the story given to the Supreme Court, she was pregnant via rape, and it was something she wasn't interested in. In her book, she explains it wasn't true at all. What she explains was that there were two lawyers who were looking for a case to bring to the Supreme Court. They found her case very compelling, and they brought the case. And in any case, she became the poster girl of abortion, and Jane Roe McCorvey, became the catalyst, the reason why abortion became legal. But what's interesting to note is that in her autobiography, she explains that at a certain point, she was sitting in an operating room, and she noticed on the wall, there was not the operating room, sorry, the, the ante room, the, one of the doctor's rooms on the way in, and she saw on the wall a fetal development poster. And she saw the progression from <clears throat> embryo throughout And she said it was so obvious. The eyes were so sweet. It hurt my heart just looking at them. I ran outside and finally it dawned on me. Norma, I said to myself, they're right. And in that moment, she realized that she had been through three pregnancies. She had worked for years and years to make abortion legal. And she was dead wrong. She says, I felt crushed under the truth of this realization. And she woke up to the reality that it's about killing babies. All those years I was wrong. It was so clear, so painfully clear. And she has since done tshuva. In 2005, McCorvey versus Hill, she petitioned the Supreme Court to overturn the 1973 decision. She didn't succeed. Okay. Now, why do I share that with you? This woman was very sincere. She really thought that abortion was a great thing. And she petitioned for it, and she went to court for it. And for years and years after, she was proud of what she had accomplished, until one point she woke up and said, oh my goodness, I was wrong. Okay, in the United States of America, there are approximately 926,000 abortions performed every year. Every year. Every year. Between 1970 and 2014, which is the last time that they have real solid statistics, the CDC reports that approximately 44.5 million legal abortions. Norma McCorvey was wrong. 44 million dead babies later. Now, why do I share that with you? Because every one of us have this opportunity called life. 
an opportunity to change, to grow, to accomplish. But the ultimate responsibility of a human being is my life. And the question I have to answer is, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my time? What am I accomplishing? And it's very, very easy to get confused. And it's very easy to get so distracted that good looks bad and bad looks good. And we hotly pursue things, whether it be honor or money or position, whatever it is. And we hotly pursue them, not realizing how foolish we're being. Yom Kippur is a day to sit back. Yom Kippur is a day to look at my life. Yom Kippur is a day to ask myself, where am I headed? What am I doing? What am I engaged in? Is my direction in life right? Is my course in life correct? If it is, let me strengthen those areas that need strengthening. Let me shore up those areas that need to be shored up. But regardless, thinking those thoughts and then committing to a Seder and learning Musr daily, if possible, weekly at least, will assure me that I'm reattaching myself to direction in life. You see, if I open a Musr Sefer, and it could be, again, from a tape, from an audio, preferably from the Sefer if possible, I'm attaching myself to Chazal's wisdom, the ultimate wisdom given by Hashem to direct us, to guide us. And if I don't do that, very difficult to know. May Hashem grant us a tremendous year of growth, accomplishment. And please stick around for a moment when I'd like to announce something. And that is as follows. So for a long time now, I've been, um, I've been working hard on something kind of in secret. It's what I call the Musavad. And I'm using it now. It's a, um, it's a series of shurim on the Silasharm. And right now it's coinciding with an appeal that we have for the Shmuz. Right now we're beginning our, the charity campaign every year. We have one big fundraiser for the Shmuz. Um, it's a once a year campaign and it's starting now until, until actually uh, Yom Kippur. And in this time that allows me to raise the funds I need to expand the Shmuz, keep the Shmuz going. A lot of people don't, don't realize the expenses that go into Baruch Hashem, the Shmuz has a tremendous reach at this point. Last, about five years ago, last time we counted, every Shmuz was listened to by about 10,000 people. Um, and so many people here on today's, uh, webinar, you know, from South, from South Africa to Yushalayim to Atlanta, um, even Brooklyn, USA. But Baruch Hashem, the Shmuz gets far, far out there, but there are very real expenses. And of course, you know, the, you know, the webmaster doesn't, you know, he also has a family, the feed of editors, I have people, I have a woman who worked in the office, I've, there is real expenses. And this is the one fundraiser of the, of the year. And it's a $200,000 campaign. Basically, between now and Yom Kippur, we're looking to raise that amount of money. Uh, but it's a charity campaign. What that means is every dollar you give is quadrupled. There are matches who have come forward and guaranteed a certain amount of money. So any dollar that you give, they give three times it. So effectively, any dollar you give, becomes times four. So it's really an opportunity for you to have a tremendous impact and to give back. If you feel you've benefited from the schmooze, if you feel it's helped you, please allow me, please allow me to continue the work. Please help me continue it. Now, as an incentive this year, as just really, it's a token, but it's a gift. uh, I made the Musavad sort of a, um, sort of a giveaway. The Musavad is, again, I started recording about a year and a half ago, Shurim on Misal Sharm. I began with the first parak, and I recorded on the first four parak. And right now, I think about 30 Shurim. They're full-length Shurim. Each one is about 
uh, each one is between 30 and 40 minutes. And this is all new material. It's not available anywhere else. I recorded it new. It's a whole new approach. I've done things before, and Mr. Sharm, you may know from the site, this is all new material. I recorded it, and it's a number of interesting ways. It's in video format. It's in audio. If you want to, the best way to watch it, honestly, is if you watch it in video because it has a text and it goes through things pretty carefully. There's also audio if you want to download and listen to the car. There's also transcripts. And it's an online course that really allows you to go through the Missoula Sharm in a way that I think makes it very, very applicable, very accessible. In any case, that's a giveaway that I'm, I'm using as a sort of just a, a thank you gift for people who help me with this, uh, with this particular charity campaign. In addition to which, to make things a little bit more um, spicy and a little more fun, um, I don't know if you can see this, but I took the entire Shmoo's audio content. That means 16 gigabyte of data, and we put it on this USB flash drive. It's a Shmoo's flash drive. I don't know if you can see it, but it, you can't see because it it's so small. But the beauty of this is you put it in your car USB player, and you have access to all the Shmoozim, all the major series, the minor series, the, uh, the Shmooz on the Parsha, the Parsha in depth. It's all there. Um, it's an amazing little uh, feature of modern technology. But the beauty of it is you don't need Wi-Fi. You don't need Internet connection. You just put it in your USB player in your car, and you select, boom, and it plays right on your stereo system. And it's really um, it's really a nifty little thing. And this is another little giveaway that, that we're giving away as, as a, again, just a token of my appreciation for those who helped me uh, continue to work with Schmooze. But there's one more piece. And this piece, I think, is the uh, the most fun. I'm going to begin after, probably right after Parshat Bracious, a live seminar type of Musavad, where what will happen is each week you'll review a part of the Musavad, part of the Sharm, and that Sunday we'll get together on a live webinar kind of like this, and we'll discuss it, meaning I'll quickly review the material, and then I'll take questions, answers, additional thoughts, I'll share different exercises, different things. The point being to make the Musavad much more real and much more of a viable, interactive way. And I believe it's a great way to commit to learning it. I don't think there's any book ever written like the Musil Sharm in terms of direction in life. Musil Salanta says all Musil Sharm are great. The Musil Sharm is the top of the top. Um, and I believe it's a great way to make these concepts real. Again, there are many ways, and I don't want you to think that you either have to donate to the Shmuz or you have to listen to the Musavat to say there are many ways to learn Musavat. But I think, again, this is a very good way. And, again, it coincides well with this charity campaign because, again, it's a fundraiser for the Shmuz. So here's basically how it works. There's a link um, that I'm going to put somewhere in a moment as soon as I find the link because I'm not sure that I had it ready where I was supposed to have it ready. But in any case, you could go to charity charity.com forward slash the schmooze. And there you'll see the various donation levels. For the full package, it means to be a part of the live showroom, et cetera, I ask if you can make a $360 donation. Now, keep in mind, that's quadrupled. So your 360 is times four. So it's I believe it's $1,440 that the schmooze gets. Um, now, if, you do, if you're able to do that, that's great, because then you'll get full access. You'll get the Musavad. You get the USB, as well as you'll get access to the online, um, the the regular online webinar and the interactive part, and that's three hundred sixty dollars. Um, if you're able to do that, that's great, and again, it'd be a tremendous benefit to the Shmuz. If that's a little too steep, I understand you can still benefit from getting the Musavad, and you'll still get the um, USB if you're able to donate at one hundred eighty dollars. 
any donation, to be honest with you, any donation is appreciated. And if that's, and if you find that either of those levels are too steep, but you really want access to the most of all, please just send me an email. I'll gladly, I'll gladly provide it because to be honest with you, it's a fundraiser and I'm using it as a token, as a gift, but I don't want it to be an obstacle if someone really wants to learn. But the bottom line is the Shmooz really could use the funding and just a nice way of thanking those people who helped me continue the work. So again, at the 360 level, you get the full package. The full package is the Musar Vad, as well as the USB, as well as access to the online live shurim. And those live shurim aren't just live, but it's back and forth questions. Basically, it's kind of like, you know, you could either type questions in or I call on you and you raise your hand and I call and you get the mic and we, we can discuss things back and forth. I'm also going to be working on exercises and things. The idea being to take the Musavad and make it live and make it really, you know, an interactive real part. So that's at the 360. If you if you feel that's too steep, you're not able to do it. I understand. At 180, you still get the Musavad. Now the Musavad is you'll still get the 30 shurim on the Sulsharm as well as the USB. Again, and to access it, if you just go to charity c h a r i d dot com charity dot com forward slash the schmooze c h a r i d y forward slash the schmooze. I was supposed to have a link here. There may be um, a link here, but right now um, I don't see it, but it'll be here hopefully shortly. I'm actually going to type it now. I'm going to type it right now in the chat over here so you could find it. It's charity.com forward slash T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z dot com. So it's right there in the chat. You could go there. Charity, I wrote charity with a T. What a mistake. It's C-H-A-R-I-D-Y dot com. Charity.com forward slash schmooze. It's not C-A-S-H-M-U-Z dot com. I did pass third grade spelling, maybe. It's charity, C-H-A-C-H-A-R-I-D-Y dot com forward slash the schmooze. Um, I don't think dot com, though. Um, let me try that one more time. If you're having trouble with it, let me know. But it should be charity.com forward slash the schmooze. And now I think I finally got it down pat. That last link should be the right one. If it doesn't work, let me know. But that last one should be, I don't see it. You don't see the link. Oh, for me to all panelists. Oh, I have to do it to all people. Okay, one second. Let me try one more trick, folks. All panelists and all attendees. Let me try that one more time. Here we go. C H A. R-I-D-Y dot C-O-M forward slash T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z. And it should be there for everyone to see. Charity.com forward slash the schmooze. Um, let me know, please, if you see it. It should be there. But that's, I hope, the right link. It's charity. See it. Okay, got it. Do me there. Somebody try it out. Make sure that it actually is the right link because uh, it works. Whew. Okay, Baruch Hashem. We can send the man to the moon, and we can even have a rabbi put in the right link on a on a live webinar. Wow, that's okay. We've now arrived. In any case, it's um, Musavad is uh, I, again. I think the material is great. Um, any donation at any level is much appreciated because again, the schmooze is you know it's a not for profit. It's all 5013C. It's all tax deductible. Um, it is Meiser, just like any other stuck organization, any other Torah organization. And you can count it for MISA. There, it's no, there's no benefit from it. Now, you do have, again, it's a token. It's a gift. I give you access online uh, to the court, but it's not for sale. There's, you can't buy this material. It's also, again, it's not 
available anywhere else, um, but it's not for sale. So I know all the uh, lawyers and the uh, and the CPAs are going to have um, are going to have questions. But I'm telling you, there's no price on it. It's not something that I'm selling, and you can't buy it. If you you owe for me money, it's not for sale. So it's not. Um, so to the best of my knowledge, it is fully tax deductible, and uh, in any case, it supports the shmuz. So please, uh, any donation level would be much appreciated. For 360, you get the full complete package. And keep in mind, any donation you make is quadruple. So if you give 360, it's times 4, 14, 40. <clears throat> At that level, you get the full access to the musavad, to the USB over here, as well as the live seminars, the live shurim on the musavad. If you're unable to do that at 180, you'll still get the Musavad. You'll get all the Shurim, the 30 Shurim, as well as the USB. Again, any donation is much appreciated. Um, uh, okay, because, uh, okay, remind the donations can be given from Miser. Ran, oh, Rand, your money, Rand, your money goes much further because each moves can be used and listened again and again around the world. Okay, thank you. Um, thank you for that. Um, I can't read that exactly because Rand, okay, but again, in any case, it sounds like it's a support, so thank you, I appreciate it. And, um, again, please feel free to, um, to go to that, to that link. Again, it's charity.com forward slash schmooze. Again, any donation level would be much appreciated to get the full, um, Musavad, that's, uh, 360. At 180, you'll get the Musavad, the USB as well, but you won't, won't get the actual interactive part. Now, again, this material is not available on the site. It's not on the shmooz.com. It's only available on this online course on the Musavad. Um, it's not been, you know, it's, it's really, I'm just using it as a giveaway, as a, you know, as just an appreciation, as a thank you for people who helped me with, uh, with, with this campaign. And again, the online shurim. Um, if, by the way, let's say if you joined the, at the 360 level, and you're not able to make one week. Let's say it's Sunday morning, 10 a.m. You're not able to make it. Each session will be recorded, and you will get the record. So what will happen is once you, you'll get the emails about it, if you're not able to make it, you'll automatically get the, uh, the replay of it. In addition to which, I'll put it, there'll be a special part of the online course that you'll have access to that will have the replay. So at any point, you can just either download it or, or listen to it, uh, et cetera. So if you're unable to, uh, make the actual live session. You can always get the replay of it. And you could also, you know, send in questions, um, on it as, as well during the week. A lot of people do that with marriage, uh, seminars. Okay. How many hours will each VOD be? So basically each VOD, um, is between 60 minutes, 60 to 90 minutes. In other words, meaning what happens is like this. Let's say week one, I'll, I'll ask you to listen to, uh, sheer, you know, sheer number one, let's say. So in the first week we, we, we meet. What will happen is I'll quickly go over that material, you know, and then we'll take some Q&A on it. I'll have other exercises and things to discuss about it, how to apply it, how to think about it at work. And each session will be somewhere between, um, somewhere between actually between 40 minutes and 90 minutes, depending on the Q&A. Uh, I'm not sure how, how long and how much people will be asking, et cetera. But the basic material, what I really want to give over, really, you know, in the repeat kind of version, will be pretty quick, and then maybe some exercise, et cetera. So in theory, my piece will be maybe 20 minutes, I don't know, 30 minutes or so. But again, the Q&A, really, that's what's going to, you know, people's questions back and forth and ideas and, and discussions. That hopefully, that will make it far more robust, and that's going to take um, a lot longer. Okay. Um, okay. Will I send the USB to Israel? The answer is yes. We will ship this 
USB. We have uh, light and uh, light and easy. So yes, feel free. Um, <clears throat> ships to your shalim. Just make sure that the correct address is in. When you enter the donation, please make sure you use the correct uh, mailing address. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it'll come out that way because in any way from the from the charge card, it usually is correct. But just in case we have any questions, we'll contact you. Uh, but yes, we do ship to Yerushalayim. We even ship to um, even to Brooklyn. We ship to uh, South Africa. We ship to Chile. We ship to uh, Atlanta. Uh, yes, so please uh, please feel free to make uh, to access that. Um, and if you have questions, by the way, about either Musavad or even the Shmuz, please feel free to put it in uh, into the chat. Australia, yes, even Australia, even down under. Um, it'll come upside down, though. Is that okay? I hope that I hope it'll work. You just have to. I'm sorry. I apologize. Oh, oh that's bad. That's like people say to me, "Schmooze." Do you have a schmooze about the schmooze? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway, yes, we do ship to Australia and the United Kingdom. Yes, United Kingdom. All parts of the globe, to my knowledge, wherever the U.S. Postal Service delivers to, we ship. And to my knowledge, U.S. Postal Service delivers to basically everywhere, anywhere certainly that Jews uh, <laughs> Jews are there. Um, Okay. Um, okay. Can 360 be paid in monthly installments of 36 in order to get the gift campaign quad monies? The answer is unfortunately no. Um, if you want to do that, you just send me an email. You can certainly do it, but it won't work towards the quadrupling because it's a has to be a one shot deal. So if you want to do that, send me an email, and I'll gladly set that up. But again, unfortunately, no, it can't. Uh, it can't be set up. Uh, we ship to North Korea. The answer is um, it's going to be checked at the border, uh, but I don't believe there's anything that's uh, radioactive uh, in here or any state secrets. So yes, the answer is we ship. Um, okay, is there any more to gain from the VOD? Okay, I listened many times to the Life series. Is there any more to gain from the VOD? So let me be very blunt about this. Um, to me, it was a whole new beginning. In other words, meaning... I started in the Silsharm again, and more than that, I was very conscious to repeat as little as I could. Now, some things, to be honest with you, I had to repeat. I had no choice because there were some things that just, you know, meaning well, the question is, there is already a series on the on the site called Life 101 that deals with, uh, you know, the Silsharm. Is that what it's called? Right, Life 101? I think that's what it's called. Uh, yeah, I believe that's what it is. So, in any case, and that's on the Silsharm. So, when I recorded these, I was very conscious to not repeat. This is not like uh, that, you know, just repeated or, or even like enhanced. It really, I started again from the Silsharm and I spent about a week. Now, you have to imagine that, that each part, I took about two or three lines and I spent at least a week learning it. I learn every day when I learn Musa and it's a good half hour, maybe even a lot more than half hour. And I dwell and I think and I come up with Michelle and, and, and each week I record. And over the course of a year and a half, I recorded it. So it's, it's again, I can't tell it's all brand new material because some things I couldn't help but, because I, you know, if there was a certain muscle that that in the first series, you know, really defined it well, I couldn't just just for the sake of coming up with something new, I couldn't. But it is a whole new, um, a whole new approach, a whole new, you know, material, it, all new. It really, it's it's not at all a repeat, and I don't think um, I think it's a tremendous amount to gain. I, I really do think so. Um, okay, um, okay, wait, okay, the jokes. Okay, no, North Korea, it's fine. Um, okay. Doesn't charity have a payment option? Um, uh, it's not set up to my knowledge. Um, 
to my knowledge, we have it set up as a, you know, go on, you know something? I take that back. <clears throat> go on charity, please. See if it is set up, um, then I sit corrected. Um, and uh, please feel free to, to use it if it's set up. To my knowledge, it was not set up. There is no payment option. I don't. I could be wrong, uh, but you could go check. If, again, if there isn't a payment option, you want to do it through installments, send me an email, rebbe at theshmuz.com, R-E-B-B-E at theshmuz.com, and I will gladly, um, you know, I will gladly uh, do that. Um, all right, if you have any questions, please feel free to use the chat. If you can type in questions into the chat, I'll gladly take that. Uh, okay. I've done it many times. Okay, again, I could be, again, uh, gladly, uh, if I am wrong, please just check it. Uh, to my knowledge, maybe it's true. Again, I, I don't know that it was set up. Um, okay, any other questions, thoughts? Um, so, again, the way it worked, possible to get a recording of this webinar. Yes, there will be a recording sent out. As long as you registered for this webinar, there will be a recording sent out of it, uh, both the audio as well as the video. And that will go out hopefully shortly. There's another one at 8 p.m. I have to save a little bit of strength so that I actually have enough strength to, to do this again. Um, but, again, um, okay, you can't see everyone's questions. Okay, I love your marriage series. Thank you. Yeah, the marriage series is Mitzvah Shem. Uh, yeah, that marriage series, um, I'm very happy with that. We're, we're, I've done four of the boot camps or two left. Um, and hopefully that I'm going to – I'm very excited about that. It was very good. And in Mitzvah Shem, there's a book coming out. There's a marriage book coming out shortly. <clears throat> if you'd like to be a part of that, you could let me know if you want to sponsor. Part of that with sponsorship still available. Uh, the title of the book is The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. Um, and if you want to be a part of that, please send me an email, rebbe at theshmuz.com, R-E-B-B-E, at theshmuz.com. Again, the link for charity is C-H-A-R-I-D-Y, charity.com forward slash Lishmuz. I'm going to put one more time in the, I'm going to type it one more time over here so everyone can see it. Y dot C-O-M forward slash T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z charity.com forward slash Lishmuz. Charid, not with a T. Charity with a D. Um, it looks like I misspelled it again. It's C-H-A-R-I-D-Y Ah, oh, you know, I really got to work on the typing. Problem is also I can't see very well. Boy, not ready for prime time. Uh, I still made a mistake there. Uh, yes, thank you for putting that in. Yes, charity.com forward slash smooth. Thank you, because I was going to put it in wrong, because I still have a T in there, and I can't get it right T. In any case, so one more time, the... Basically, the donation levels are as follows. Again, any donation amount is greatly appreciated. But for 360, you get the entire package. The entire package is the complete Musavad, 30 Shurim on Mesil Sharm, the first four Prokim on Mesil Sharm, as well as the USB. You get shipped out USB that has all of the Shmuz audio material, 16 gigabyte. That's all the Shmuzim, the entire major series, all the minor series, the Parsha in depth. It's all here. You put it in your car, play it. It's good to go. In addition to that, you get the access to the online shurim to be part of the, uh, the actual Musavad. We were going to, you know, again, each week we there's a five-minute recap of that week's work, and then we discuss it, and I give other exercises, and we kind of just try to, as a group, try to really 
get these concepts in a way that really work, that really expands it. Uh, so that's for the 360, you get the full package. If you're not able to do the 360 at 180, you could still get the Musarvad as well as the USB. And again, if you just go to charity.com, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y, dot com forward slash blushmuz, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z, you should be able to access it. And um, if you have any other questions, please feel free to write them. Oh, right. Write the link on a piece of cardboard and hold it. If I had a piece of cardboard, would I? If I had a piece of cardboard, I wouldn't have a piece of cardboard. Um, <laughs> I apologize. This is the 21st century. No cardboard. I don't even know if I have a pen. So you'll have to just trust me that that's, the link's over there. It's C-H-A-R-I-D-Y dot com forward slash the schmooze. T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z. The only thing you have to remember is Charity is spelled funny with a D. Imagine you come from Brooklyn. Everything's with a D. You know, past the butter. The butter, so charity. So C-H-A-R-I-D-Y dot com forward slash the schmooze. And again, the full Musavad 360 that entitles you to everything, including the online showroom where you can be interactive and you can be involved in the actual uh, questions and answers. For 180, you can get the full showroom as well as USB. And again, any donation amount would be, is appreciated. And again, please feel free to put any questions that you have. All of the material is brand new. All, well, again, not all brand new, but it's, it's all new, all new recorded. There's some, maybe some repeated, some borrowed from shoes, et cetera, but it's, it's a whole new uh, spin. And yes, the APM, the Schmooze tonight at APM is just going to be the same as today. I mean, a little different, but, uh, it'll be basically today. Um, and again, if you have any other questions, please feel free to write them in, uh, to ask questions, et cetera. I will look now to see if there are any other questions. Um, in the Q and A, I see some questions. Okay. Um, Okay, here's an interesting question. How long can it take to wipe out the sin from one Yom Kippur to the next Yom Kippur do the stains carry over? So the answer is it depends on how much chuva you did. So again, imagine that there's my coat and there's the mud stain. Some chuva, some rubbing takes off the mud. Some is still a discoloration. You rub it a little bit with solvent. It takes care of some of it. There's still sort of an image. You rub a little more, there's still a shadow and rub a little more still silhouette, but if you rub and rub and really, really get into the fabric, it's gone. So chuva works the same way. It depends on how much karata, how much you get. Any chuva takes off some, takes off mud, but to dig in, the more you dig in, the more you dig in, the more you dig in, the more it's gone. So in theory, you could get rid of the entire vera in one fell swoop. Very often it takes longer, and sometimes it takes, uh, uh, you know, more. Um, okay, etc. Wish there were subtitles. Yeah, that'd be great. If there were subtitles, that'd be great. Uh, maybe I'll do for a replay. We could do subtitles, but um, uh, okay. Um, so, so let me address this question. There is a series called the fight. And the fight. Uh, somebody asked a question. If there's somebody that deals with um, with desire and issues of sexuality. Today, so there is a series called The Fight on the schmooze.com. And there's a series, I think it's eight or ten, I forget how many, it's an entire series that deals with that. Uh, so please feel free, the schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. 
Um, and there's an entire series that deals with it. And um, right. Um, okay, here's a good question. Why should a person pray for health if illness is a kapara? So the answer is illness is a kapara if you can't get that kapara any other way. But there are many times when you could, uh, meaning what does a kapara mean? In other words, ultimately, if you're a changed individual, then you're a changed individual. You don't need more. So if, in fact, you're able to accomplish the same thing without uh, that, you know, then it's very simple. You just, uh, you know, the tshuva alone, and then you don't need the kapara. You don't need to go through that entire process. So the answer is that um, should you pray for health? Absolutely. And more than anything, if Dam Deshem, that I shouldn't need Isurim, uh, yeah, ask Hashem, please, <clears throat> hopefully I can learn my lesson without the pain, without the suffering. Hopefully I can learn the lesson just by, um, you know, by putting the brain on on. Um, okay. So, um, Okay, the marriage course cannot be at 2 p.m. because I now watch marriage course in the video after and I now feel much more into it and able to participate better. I live in your slime. Yes, I appreciate it. But um, as it is, it's going to be a major fit of of, of Gvura for me to now give the same shoes um, a couple of hours. The odds of my doing it on a regular basis to the marriage thing, uh, sorry, um, I'm about 20 years too old for that one, sorry. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, okay. To discuss Musa's thoughts, if you want to discuss any thoughts on Musa, etc., Rebbe at the Shmuz.com. R-E-B-B-E at the Shmuz, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. Rebbe at the Shmuz.com. Um, Okay, so let me ask a question that's asked over here. Actually, excuse me one second. I'm going to just take a quick sip of my schmooze mug. <clears throat> Thank you. Okay, the question is, I did tshuva um, for the pa- in the past year for a particular vera, and I feel I've done it again. How could I do tshuva uh, again? How could I avoid this this year? So, you know, you have to understand, again, any tshuva is very helpful, the main thing is a Kabbalah alabat to try to figure out a system, a way to improve. And not every Avera can we get rid of instantly. Any tshuva works, any tshuva helps, and you try to create systems for the future to improve, to to change it. Um, more than anything, learning about the issue. Learning about the issue is the biggest factor. Um, you know, and there are many, first of all, again, there are many shmuzim that deal with different issues, uh, but um, either svarim or learning or figuring out the system. Um, okay, here's a good question. How important is it for us to understand each of the vidui, asham, the bagan, etc.? And the saying it out that have some power in 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 Lashon Hakodesh. Okay, so let me say this: all tila you know, really, there's sort of like two elements of tefillah. The way Chazal wrote the words has a tremendous impact and changes things, and it's very important to use Chazal's words, especially Shemana Esrei, and and the Ashamnus, I would say, you know, as well. However, tefillah really is avodah shebelev. It's supposed to be 
heart service. It's supposed to be real. It's supposed to be uh, from the heart. And certainly, tshuva really is heart service. So really, you need to do both. It is a very good idea to use the words nechazal, you know, use. And obviously, the more you understand, the more effective they are. Uh, but if for some reason you can't, um, you know, certainly English works. But again, really, it's best to do both and uh, try to, you know, try to uh, try to understand if you can. But you should really certainly um, use the Hebrew and also try to um, use your own words in your own mother tongue. Um, okay, I hope you apologize. I do apologize, but I'm going to at this point. I'm going to just want to mention one more time again. It's if you want to help out the schmooze, it's charity.com. C H A R I D Y dot com forward slash the schmooze. If you want to access the Musavad, so for three hundred sixty dollars, you get the full package that includes the Musavad, the USB, as well as the online, the active, and uh, the Q and A, the active. Shurim. If you're not able to do the 360 and 180, you still get the access to the Musavad all through the Shurim as well as USB. Keep in mind any donation you make between now and Yom Kippur is quadrupled, so it's tax deductible, it's miser, and it's quadrupled. Please help me continue to schmooze. Any questions, please send to RebbeTheSchmooze.com. I do apologize, but at this point, I'm, I need to just save a little bit of strength for tonight. So I wish you a good Gebenshur, a Gemar Tov, and may Hashem allow us to do a total complete tshuva. May this be the last year in exile. Next year, Yishlein HaBenuyah.